What is going on? Happy Monday. Welcome to Canucks Talk. It's Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host. As always, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech. Footwear and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Drance, stop me if you've heard this one before. Canucks followed up a fairly impressive win against the Colorado Avalanche by allowing seven goals and losing first game of a tough road trip to the Winnipeg Jets. Did, shockingly, the uh, improved defensive form against Colorado did not maintain into Winnipeg yesterday. Yeah, and we're past the point of doing the who is this team thing, right? Yeah. Like no, this one, is no, one, no one's even doing that anymore. They're both they're both games. You know what I mean? That's that's who they are. There's actually nothing inconsistent about them, right? You know, uh, the one thing I'd say is you can see. This team's classic, like that first goal, right, where the Jets outshoot them 5 nothing to start the period, mm-hmm. and then there's absolutely no chance they're ever stopping Kyle Connor cutting in five feet away from Colin Delia, right, and just absolute beauty snapshot as as Kyle Connors want to do with zero, yeah. yep. zero, zero effort, no wind-up, no telegraphing where the shot's going, perfect postage stamp top corner. But, I mean, he's completely unbothered. Right, I mean, like, <laughs> like a hardware store level of customer service in the Canucks slot, just dinks it top corner, and you felt it coming because there was like three or four chances exactly like it leading up to that moment, and that's what this team feels like defensively sometimes, right? Uh, Nick Ehlers sort of coming around, right? Multiple rush goals, mm-hmm. uh, multiple breakaway goals. The the pe- the shorthanded one, Kyle Connor's Connor second. second. Yeah, getting after the pinch by OEL, yeah. You know, uh, Ehlers literally just like, I, I mean, m- might as well have been doing a figure skating routine around the Canucks zone when he when he pops one in. Maybe Delia should have had well, that one. Well, uh, yeah, but that's a great point to me because I agree that you can look at that and say, well, that's a soft goal for Delia to let in. But Nick Ehlers also had... All the time in the world. So you can't really... It it, it wasn't just the shot either. Like, it wasn't just the shot where he had time and space. Like, it feels like he'd been skating with the puck for like five seconds with people just sort of waving at him. Yeah, I only have so much... Like a Queen's procession. I only have so much patience and so much time for the, oh, well, you know, the the goalie's got to have that one to lift the guys up. It's like, well, you got to help your goalie out. You can't give Nick Ehlers 10 seconds of open space at the side of the net like that. And that's the thing. I mean, I think the Canucks are still second to last in the NHL in in save percentage at the moment this season. But, like, they're, they're full value for it. Yeah. You know, it's it's... The people wanting to sort of blame the quality of performances and net that they've had. Hey, look, and they're making a pretty—they're making an assault on the on the Sharks here. I mean, with the games that they've got coming up, there's a chance. There's a chance they could they could get below the Sharks. They could get below the Sharks. All of that said, right? It's like point zero zero five is the difference in save percentage that they've had this season and the Los Angeles Kings. Yeah. You can win with bad goaltending. Good teams do it, right? You know who else is sub-890 on the season? 
the Seattle Kraken. Look no further than this division. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've watched Martin Jones play games. You've watched him play games against the Canucks. Have Spencer Martin or Colin Delia been substantially worse than the guy with like 14, 15 wins for the Kraken? No. No. Nope. So anyway, there were these moments where the Canucks' defensive sloppiness, the ability of opponents to cut through them like, you know, melted butter, Mm -hmm. shows through and overwhelms. And yet, one thing I was struck by was the amount of zone time Vancouver was able to generate in response and then also when the game was tied 4-4 once again, right? Because it was basically a, a tough start, a tough five minutes. Winnipeg punctures Vancouver for two quick ones. Vancouver dominates the rest of the period, ends it tied, right? Once script resumes in the second period, except when it became 4-4, the Canucks were the better team. Like I, I was like, oh, wow, this, is, this looks a little different to me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's the only, that's the unscreened wrist shot goal to the, the fourth line wing. That was the um, the guy with the, he, I don't know, he's got like eight syllables. <laughs> Janssen Fialbi. Fialbi, yeah. yeah. Um, that was the one goal where I was like, yeah, that's a tough one. That's a, that's a everyone on the bench slumps mm-hmm. stinker. But, and then the third period, I thought Vancouver played really well. We're unfortunate to get dinged the way they did in, in the 7-4 loss. Overall, when I combine what I've seen since the forward lines were, were rejigged, I think the Canucks have, at the very least, set themselves up to be imposing at the top end of their roster. And, you know, think about the way that this team was talked about, which feels like it was a parallel universe before the season, right? Top six. The top six is the strength of this team. And then as this season's gone on, that, that's kind of not been true, right? JT Miller as, as centerman hasn't worked in terms of driving five-on-five play. Uh, you know, Pedersen Kuzmenko's sort of been like, remember the first seven games of the season, and honestly, really, for much of the season, where like no one can make anything happen consistently five-on-five unless 40's on the ice? Yep. Like it sort of undermined the logic of this team, which was control with the top end, get elite goaltending, eat on the power play, and you know and survive just, and weather survive. the storm elsewhere elsewhere right? and yeah. instead instead it's like they didn't even have what they needed to eat at five on five except with Pedersen on the ice or Bo Horvat putting in deflections like that was it that was all that was ever happening with the Canucks at five on five their five on five form's been far worse than I even thought it would be uh, for a variety of reasons some of which we'll get into later at least the last two games with Miller Kuzmenko Pedersen together as a trio you you've you've been able to see sort of that baseline top of the lineup solidity that this team's lacked all season and i like it like honestly out of these coming out of these two games like to me that jets loss on sunday is a part of some of the disappointing stuff we've seen all season from this team but kind of it, it felt different to me because at least the effort level was there at least the canucks controlled play and sort of have now controlled play since these rejig forward lines at a level that we haven't seen them do all season. Yeah. No, no. I think that's true, except, like, I would say it was basically, you could make the argument that 5-on-5, five five, it was like a roughly even game against the Jets last night or yesterday. Sure, but that's the first time they've played the sure. Jets roughly even this season. Yeah, I know, but, like, if that's the high water mark. Well, that is the high water That's mark. really tough. That's a really bad, really bad sign, But if right? you have Demko in net and your power play going, 
playing a good team even five on five is all this team needs. Like that that's always been the logic of this team was that they can outshoot and get the performance in the blue paint to win games despite the fact that, you know, their opponents control play at a at a more at a superior clip. Right? Like that's always been the logic of this team. All they need is to be like okay, passable at five on five, and they and they should look like the you know, 85 to 95 point team we were expecting coming into the season as opposed to a team where, you know, they've got a real shot at getting into the bottom five of the league if they make a couple moves, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's, that's, it, I still don't believe that that's who they are to have reached this point. It's just that they have reached this point and should seize that opportunity. We'll get back into that after, you know, maybe the next loss. But at least I saw some progress in these two games. Maybe for the first time all year, I'm sort of saying, okay, it looks like they've actually found some solutions up front. Now, big picture, are you happy that they've figured out the most obvious solution (laughs) to their lineup issues? Or does it make you wonder why it took so long for Miller and Pedersen to play together again once they changed coaches? Yeah, that's an extremely fair question. I mean, and, and, you know, are there non-hockey reasons for why it took so long for this pair to be reunited? And if so, does that diminish your enthusiasm in, in doubling down on this core group the way they've already done? They're already well, locked and, into and, it. But. And again, I would say, does it does that diminish your enthusiasm? But also just the fact that, again, you're talking, as you described it, like, if all of those things go right, we're talking about a team with, like, a 95-point ceiling. Yeah, yeah, oh no, for sure. So what I mean, no, you know what I mean. It's all, so it's, it's all, it's all. It's hard to get too enthusiastic about. Oh, okay, because you're right. Pedersen and Miller are going to be really good together with Kuzmenko. I thought, you know, there were the the flashier moments went to the Connor line. I think for sure, but for the most part. But if you look at the minutes of those that Pedersen played against the uh, the Jets top line, you know, for the most part, it was pretty even. And that was the same thing against McKinnon and Rantanen, right? Yeah. So that's a line that's going to be able to hold their own against other. Uh, elite competition around the league, but it's just the fact that it's not as if that transforms the Canucks into, you know, a top three team in their division. It doesn't. So, okay, yeah, you can make the right coaching move there and finally get those two together and and get them doing their thing on the ice, but the upside is just still so limited overall for the team that it's hard to get too, uh, too worked up about it. You're right. But like you're not wrong. Something. No, no, yeah. it's something. It's just you know at this point, what what else are we gonna say? Like, because I want to pivot from this to discussing the defense. <laughs> yeah, because I will say the other thing is <laughs> the other thing is I do wonder how much. And I know we've heard um, Kevin Woodley on the station broaching this subject as well. But how much some of the public numbers that we have that measure things like high danger scoring chances and expected goals sure. undersell a little bit. The defensive liability of the Canucks. Well, because that's... I think you could point to some moments last night where you'd say, okay, yeah, at the end of the night, you look and the numbers are roughly even, but did the Canucks' chances look the same to you watching the game as the Jets' chances, right? And no. I think there's a pretty persuasive case. No, they did not. They did not. And they they absolutely did not, especially with what the Jets were able to generate on the rush, right? I mean, the yeah. Canucks just get hooped, and you can see it coming, like, you know, there's three or four Jets goals that you can see coming for like 40 feet. You know, like they happen a hundred feet. The breakdown happens 150 feet from the Canucks net. And, and I mean, what you're expecting a goalie in, in like a clear two on one with a defender who doesn't play two on ones. Well, <laughs> I mean, what's the save percentage on chances like that? Yeah. 75% not, not something like that. I mean, so yeah, I mean, soccer goalie stuff. So yeah, uh, without question, I think the 
raw data undersells Vancouver's defensive issues. But Vancouver's defensive issues also were so pronounced. Now, we have to talk about, like, if you're going to try and fix this, for just from a short-term perspective, and, and you know me, I don't even think it's worth doing. Mm-hmm. I, think th- I think this team should get intentionally worse. Um, but if you're going to try and do it, I think the myers ekman Larson pairs run its course for a little bit. I'm not saying you don't go back to it and see if they can recapture that Bruce there it is magic because they were so good together last season. But they've both been at a level this year where I'm not confident. Like, I wouldn't confidently answer yes to a question formulated as follows. Would the Canucks be better off, would their chances of beating Pittsburgh tomorrow be better in the event that they ran with, you know, Hugh Shen, Dermot Bear, Stillman, Burroughs, and scratched both players? Would they, would they be better off? I wouldn't confidently say no. Like, I would confidently be like, eh. Yeah, I think that's Let's worth think a shot. About it. Yeah, yeah, because those th- they, they've been they've struggled so significantly. Myers on ice, minus three, five on five. Ekman Larson minus two, but he was on for the shorty as well, so he he finished the night dash three. Um, like my colleague at the Athletic Dom Lecision combines with Shana Goldman, a, a frequent guest on our program, and they do these Canucks player cards, and the Vancouver Canucks player cards are up at the Athletic today. And the first thing I sort of ran through, there's a formula to calculate based on Dom's proprietary game score value added model. This is the projection model that we often cite on this program. And back when it used to produce uh, individual results, um, individual results estimates uh, outperformed the the betting markets uh, four years running and, and by more than any other publicly available model, which is why I weighed it so heavily, why we bring it up so much to the point where Chris Faber used to ding <laughs> us every time we did. According to this model, Myers and Ekman Larson combined have minus 12.2 surplus value this season. Or in other 12. words, 12.2 million. 12.2 million. Yeah. In other words, are providing like the, the level of negative value that they're providing could fit all but one NHL contracts under it. Like this team has a massive inefficiency problem on the back end and a massive issue on the back end, but at some point, I do think it's worth just like hitting the nail on the head a little bit yeah. about specifically where that problem because is. Like it, it's a, it's one thing you're right. It's one thing to say the defense is the problem, the blue line is the problem, which is of course true. I mean, there's other problems, but that's the big one. That's the biggest one. That is the like existential one. Yeah, yeah. but it's not as if it's just well, we need to go out and find guys, right? Like, we've got Quinn Hughes, and then we've got a bunch of guys that we're paying less than $2 million and who aren't getting it done, right. and we need to go find extra talent. It, the most expensive players, other than Quinn Hughes, on your blue line are also the ones who are crushing you right now. Well, and they're, I think they're all top 45, or, or it might be even less than that. It might be top 25. Like, $7 million should buy you a 1A D-man. Yeah! And or six million should buy you a one AD man. Like I believe among active defensemen, all three players are in the top it's forty five or twenty five, and I think it's twenty five, but I'll confirm it before I and they're not getting close to that level of value, obviously, from these players. Forty five. And the uh just FYI, it was forty five. I had it I had it wrong. So I mean they're all paid like top pair guys. And frankly, the Canucks are getting top pair fringe top pair caliber value out of Quinn Hughes this season? Because I don't think he's having his best year, to be totally honest with you. No, he's not. 
He's been really good. He is this team's best defenseman with a bullet. He was their best defenseman last season, even though Oliver ekman Larson's glow-up was impressive. But they've got two guys paid like top-pair defensemen who I, I think are a replacement level at the moment. You can't come back from that. You can't come back from that. And, and then you throw in, you know, according to GSVA, the other guy who's providing um, replacement level value on a big ticket would be Besser. You know, there's no there's no coming back from having twenty million that poorly spent in the like that's a quarter of your bucks. Mm-hmm. It's a quarter of your bucks. There, there, there's nothing you can do with that much dead money, and all of those deals last beyond this season. Yeah, and that so the question of what do you do, like how do you address Oliver Ekman Larson and Tyler Myers? <laughs> well, and I think we're missing a crucial piece of information to answer that, right? Because even before we talked before the show, and you wanted to bring it up, and that's what I was thinking about too, right? Because I mean, they were it was a, it was a tough watch, it was a tough performance for that pair last night. But as much as I can say, oh, you got to do something to address Oliver Ekman Larson and Tyler Myers, I don't know that you do in the short term. Oh, I don't know that you can. Yeah, but the, also the team would the team would address this if they could, right? Like publicly and privately, the club still believes that Ekman Larson can provide, you know, second pair playing ability for this team, right? But around the draft, and I said it at the time, like the guys I kept hearing that the Canucks were shopping were Garland mm-hmm. and Ekman Larson. So, you know, color me deeply suspicious about about the club's insistence that Oliver Ekman Larson's like an important part of this team going forward. I, I they know what that contract is. They know how hard that it makes it to improve. And and the Myers thing, I mean Myers on that in that group with Tanner Pearson, who also would be another three point two five providing replacement level value this season per GSVA. Garland and Besser, like those if they could find deals for those guys, that that, that would be done already. It just would. Like, it just would. So I think they are aware of the magnitude of the issue. The question is, are you willing to do the types of things that would potentially free you from these deals? You know, and and you might not, you might be just out of luck, right? Both guys have some form of no trade protection. In Oliver Ekman Larson's case, full no move protection. Myers, you can't buy out because there's no benefit to it because of the signing bonus. Well structured by his agent. Uh, his agency at CAA, congrats, good stuff. And then, of course, Ekman Larson, uh, you can buy out, but it's an eight-year hit to your cap, um, and a big chunk of change up front. Right? I just, I just don't know. I don't know how you like. When I talk and advocate for rebuild, this is a big part of what I'm, what I'm looking at too, right? It's like if you're getting bad intentionally and swapping out a bunch of guys and making things, you know really uncomfortable for the players in the room. Does that help you shake some things loose? Does that allow you to consider doing, you know, you're trading a guy, but you're taking a worse contract back, Mm -hmm. but maybe the player is slightly better or slightly better fitter. I mean, the sort of dramatic, even spending futures, if you have to, or retaining salary, if you have to on long-term deals, right? Like, like, uh, Remember, Jim Rutherford's Penguins won the cup with uh, Phil Kessel on a retained salary transaction. Yep. You know? So, I, I mean, I, I, 
to me, this is like the intractable issue. It's not just that the previous regime built a blue line that's one of the league's worst. Worst. It's also that the last regime built a blue line that's completely impossible to disassemble. Something we were talking about before this all became apparent. Like when it was controversial to say stuff like that. But it's proven true. And now it's proven so true that I, I just kind of think you're stuck with it. The So... The wisdom on Tyler Myers, and something we've talked about as well, has been that you can probably find a deal for him this summer after the signing bonus is paid. Does that still hold true for you? I think so. I think so. But you're going to need it, – it's contingent on him being – you know, you have to at least convince a team that he can be like their Eric Johnson. Yeah. They're like big, physical, third pair, can't teach size, right-handed defenseman, been around the league, played some big games, you know? And I wonder if you have to... Even then, you might have to retain. Yeah, and I wonder if you have to start trying to massage his role on well, the team right now to kind of prop up that value well, going let into me, the summer. Let me ask you this question. What about how this team has functioned, right? Uh, going young and cheap in Abbotsford, right? Uh, the Dickinson buyout having far more cash consideration benefits than, than salary cap benefits. Mm-hmm. Like, what about how this team has functioned over the last year suggests that they're willing to eat a $5 million signing bonus hit, you know, for for the benefit of, like, getting a better draft pick in a Tyler Myers trade? Yeah. Like, I, I'm sure they'd prefer to not hold the bag. And, and you know, for as much as people are like, well, and I want to talk about this, too, in the next segment, the, like, notion of if you want to trade Horvat fast, you have to take pennies on the dollar, which, you know, isn't true. I don't think, anyway. But the... You know, like this is the situation. Would would do you expect them to be willing to just eat that money to to juice the trade? They should, but I I don't know. I don't know with how this organization has functioned, even even up to and including the Bruce Boudreaux thing. Like, why would this organization keep a coach they clearly aren't on the same page with, rather than exercising the the balloon payment option to to have him walk? I mean, there was a world where they could have not been playing this unacceptable structure this season. Mm-hmm. It would have cost them some millions. They already have Travis Green on the books, but obviously the cash consideration loomed large. So what about this team suggests that they're even willing to to do that? They just haven't behaved like a big market team in a long time. No, and it's been that it's been that the reluctance to do those types of financial things combined with the reluctance to or at least the apparent reluctance to make hard player personnel decisions, right? To replace players. Right. To move on from players and then find a way to replace them. <laughs> and so those two things. You're free, well, free spending in all the places you shouldn't be and, and, yeah. and spendthrift in all the places you should be. And those two things Sorry, combined. Sorry, I used that word. That was a malapropism, right? Spendthrift. What, spendthrift? I don't know. Is, is, I think don't so. ask me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 sorry. Spendthrift in all the places you shouldn't be and yeah, um, whatever. Profligate, where you shouldn't Ooh. be. There you go. Ooh. Um, profligate. But I think Let's it's those go. it's those two things that create the stasis, right? Like you're 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 looking at all the various different options that exist to shake up a team and you're taking them all off the board, whether it's because of financial reasons, whether it's because you got too attached to your own players, whatever it is, like as hard as it is to disassemble this team, there are ways you can do 
You can move players. You can break up teams in the NHL. They just never seem to be an actual option for this team. And I think more than anything, it's that that lack of action. That's that feeling like just stuck in the same place constantly. There's, as I said, this stasis, this complete lack of movement that has been so frustrating for fans, especially over the last two years or so. On the OEL, Meyerson, we'll do this in the next segment, but what I was going to say is I think when we talk about, okay, what do they do with OEL and Myers right now in the short term, we're missing a key piece of information. And to me, that is what does management want for the rest of this season? I want to talk about that in the next segment. What is the goal in management's eyes for the remainder of this season? Uh, we'll get into more about uh, the Bo Horvat situation as well. Got your text coming. 650-650. You got something to say? Well, no, we just got a text in asking is this – segment sponsored by Jerry Buckley. Give it up. No team wins a game with 741 save percentages. Is Buckley um, Delia's agent? <laughs> I actually don't know. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but he's definitely... Uh, he appears to be. He is an agent. So. Well, well, he's definitely Jack Rathbone's agent. So if we're going to do this segment... Yeah, he is Delia's agent. Okay, so if we're going to do this segment as sponsored by Jerry Buckley, time <laughs> it's time to free Jack Rathbone. And also, uh, the Canucks should be all in on trading for Tyler Boucher from the. <laughs> I mean, let's let's if we're gonna do a bit, let's really go in. <laughs> More Jerry Buckley content coming up. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome back to Canucks talk Sportsnet six. 50 live from the Kintech studio. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here. Happy Monday. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, Gerp from Surrey texted in. Drancer, you've been weirdly positive about this team this year. It's not normal. LOL. We're being positive about this team or today? Yeah. I mean, I don't know about this year. Well, here's what I'll say. I mean, you have been in in many ways. At least about the short term, you've been more positive about them than I have. Well, so sometimes you got to separate the short term and the long term. Hundred percent, right? You're you're extremely, I think, negative. Not not as an insult, but just I think it's a fair uh, characterization of the long term. I'm low on the long term prospects of this team building a contender around Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko without significant focused badness. In the short term, yeah. and I'm skeptical too about this team's ability to achieve it, which is really how this all fits together. Like one thing, sometimes I bring things up because I'm interested in them, and then I don't land the plane, as uh-huh. it were. And I think that's what happened first segment. So I want to get back to it. The Canucks practiced in Pittsburgh today at PPG Paints Arena, and Dan Murphy of Sportsnet, our Sportsnet colleague and, and a lovely gentleman, tweeted out the lines and unchanged. So. I've talked a lot about Bruce Boudreaux ne- not doing the, like, playing who I have, right? How do you watch a 7-4 loss to Winnipeg and keep the lines the same? Here's how. You say, hey, we played well. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong, right? Boudreaux is rolling with the same lines because his message internally, and, and whether or not this is what he said in the room, I don't know. I'm just saying this is his message. This is the message that a coach sends by keeping the lines the same after a performance like that. We're on the right track. We're close. That's disappointing, but we did a lot of things we like. We know we were close to winning that game, right? That's the message he's sending. My concern is that he's right. 
Like, my concern and the reason I brought it to the defense is, you know, I don't think this team's far away from finding a different level at 5-on-5, an acceptable level at 5-on-5. And then their power play, which has been sputtering a little bit, but is still good in my opinion, is still going to be really good once, once, you know, they get rolling again. Once that gets going and then you get Demko back, well, then you're not six points clear of the Coyotes for very long. The Coyotes have had a very good tanking week this they week. Have. I don't know if you've yes. noticed. They've turned it on. They've they've turned it on. They got blown out by Philly. That blown was a key, out by a Pitt. Key tank game. Yeah. Well, and like blown out by Pitt, and now the Canucks play in Pittsburgh tomorrow, right? It's like you have to go shot for shot with these guys. That's what this team should be doing. And instead, you've got one of the winningest coaches in NHL history. Fighting yeah. for his life, trying, up in the lab, cooking up some trying solutions. to figure out solutions, yeah. and I think he's getting close to finding a few things that work. Right, like that Lazar Joshua game. Stanika was great again against Winnipeg. By the way, that might be a find. I'm I'm like pretty close to being like I want to see Stanika compliment skilled guys. Well, again, it's I'm the, getting there. It's the kind of uh, it's the player personnel version of just the like short term versus long term thing. But when you talk about when we talk about this management, like yeah, another nice pickup in Jack Stanika. Well, and I don't ha- like I, Stanika and Joshua are both getting to a point where it's like I kind of want to see them. You know, like I like I like them together with Lazar, but I but I'm not opposed to seeing them get opportunities like in the top nine and yeah. seeing what that looks like. Well, I was like, gonna say with with the tweet from Murph about the lines, like I was. The point I was going to make is where are the like what what are the changes you would make? The only one that springs to mind for me would be like playing Stanika with Mikheyev and no, Horvat. No, no. Back end, I like the forwards. I think they've fi- figured something out with the forwards. I think you leave them, but I think the defensive gaffes that we saw yesterday point to where this team's issues remain. Not that it's all on the defense. Don't get me wrong. This forward group is still going to be below average uh, defensively as as a as a unit, but. Like, I don't need to see much more of Myers OEL. And I definitely think that while Hughes and Bear, like, if you had a team where you had lots of guys that can move the puck like Hughes and Bear, fine. But loading it all up on one pair, I think, really makes the rest of the team stodgy in terms of their puck moving ability. Like, here's here's the answer in my opinion. On what I at least want to see, because I think it would give the Canucks... Uh, an additional push. Why not? So to be clear, and I don't actually want to see this. <laughs> Hughes Shen, Hughes Shen, OEL Bear, Dermot Myers. Yeah. You play with that and these forward lines, and I think you and I think you can win an inconvenient number of games. And this is my concern. Like I think he's close. I think he's close to really getting this mix right. And, and this is sort of what I was really thinking as I was watching that Winnipeg game go on, and I, I heard Bruff and Halford touch on it a little bit too. You know, this Jets team's looking really good. <laughs> and I loved their commitment to just being like, this is a hellebuck day off, we don't care how Riddick plays. Which, by the way, is another factor to keep in mind on the tank. Like, is there a chance that we don't see Vasilevsky? Is there a chance right. that we don't see Spencer Knight? Because they're you're going to... You're gonna bump into what this team bumped into back last half year. of last year. You saw a lot of backups. Where teams start awful stop, lot of backups. Teams stop taking you seriously. Like it's a lot easier to win games late in the year once you start. Like once teams look at you and once you've been ID'd as oh yeah that's a that's a David Riddick pick. points night. Yeah. And by the way, this should this should 
offend people a lot more than anything a local journalist says about their win-loss record is when teams start looking at you and being like, big save Dave, your number. Time for you to get right. Time for you to get a win, buddy. Well, and also when you're when when you're playing teams like, you know, they take a 2-0 lead and they're like, okay, good, done, job's done. And the Canucks are just good enough to make those teams pay. They did to the Avs. They did to the Jets. But not good enough to necessarily actually win those games. Well, not unless, to do it every time. Or 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 they didn't the, the key with the Avs was they didn't give them a chance. Like they scored the third goal right away. Mm. So the Avs didn't have a chance to be like, okay. So anyway. And then the Avs melted down themselves anyways. Yes, but, they yeah. did. Well, and they and to lose five in a row, right? Yeah. I mean that that team needs a get right game. So with with where this team's at. The Jets made their coaching change, got Rick Bonus in, and all of a sudden there's a totally different vibe around that team, right? That, totally different level of performance too. I mean, Rick Bonus, Rick Bonus, who wouldn't free Miro Haskinen, has come in and all of a sudden found a way to yeah, make Josh, Josh Morrissey. Josh Morrissey, yeah. I, I don't know how that makes sense, but it but it's working. It's impressive. Um, Morrissey's not getting beat on retrievals. The retrieval glitch we sort of touched on uh, during the PDO report on Friday. They're um, they're looking like a formidable side. Yeah, and he's got a lot of like, he's got that that buy in and that structure, right? Because what was so much of the conversation in Winnipeg last year? It was what about Blake Wheeler's defensive effort, right? What right. about Mark Shifley's defensive effort? Can totally. you win with these guys playing like this? And Bonus has got them. Now, obviously, a huge part of it is Connor Hellebuck as well. But you watch the team, and you talk to anybody who covers the team, and those guys are also giving a completely different effort on that side of the puck now. And don't ignore that center depth, right? Like the the Shifley, um, Dubois, Lowry down the middle thing. I mean, those are, you know... Brinks truck human beings mm. who are all conscious defensively, and then even on even on their fourth line, like they have that Stenland guy playing right now, who's like a you know tall drink of water. Like there's a lot of size, there's a lot of um, a lot of high work rate forwards. Yeah, uh, Curtis Sanford would be another on the wing. I mean, there's a lot of guys that I like a lot as sort of just like conscientious two way pieces, but you know fundamentally. Changing from Maurice, Dave Lowry, and now into Rick Bonus. Um, you know, the Winnipeg Jets model feels like the one we're going to be sold in Vancouver over the course of the summer once the Canucks get their coach right, right? Once the once Boudreaux is you know out, which uh, it feels like an inevitability. It's it is an inevitability. Yeah, and you know the the organization IDs whoever's next the next guy up and and look I'd expect that to be a really crucial hire for this team I mean think about Rutherford's history right we've talked about a little bit about how Rutherford's first year in Pittsburgh went terribly mm-hmm. right what was the what was the sea change moment for Rutherford in Pittsburgh do you remember was it Sullivan yeah Mike Johnston out yeah Mike Sullivan up from the AHL um, I don't know if you've seen, but the Abbotsford Canucks... They're playing really well. 14 wins in their last 17. They're playing really well. They've they, got a former NHL head coach or, or behind the bench. Organization's very excited about Jeremy Colleton. But probably, you know, I, I would wonder if they'd be reluctant to bring him into a toxic environment if they're really looking at him as a guy with legs for the future. We don't know how this is going to turn out in Pittsburgh. New ownership. I think management's very much on the hot seat. There have been moments of inconsistency. So, you know, Mike Sullivan who's actually been a head coach for the Vancouver Canucks, albeit on an interim basis, <laughs> if, you, if you really think about it, during John Tortorella's uh-huh. fateful suspension. 
Um, but you know that no no question that would be the apple of this management group's eye, right? I mean, get the band back together. But the other the other name that looms large, I think, from a structural standpoint, particularly, and this is just something I was thinking about because the Canucks were playing the Winnipeg Jets, but the Winnipeg Jets went all out to try to land Barry Trotz this yep. summer, and it was only once Barry Trotz respectfully told Kevin Day off, "I need to take some time here." That they switched gears and ID'd Rick Bonus, someone they had a ton of familiarity with. Um, you know, as an organization, True North used to be the team that managed the Canucks affiliate. Uh, Rick Bonus spent time as, with the Manitoba Moose on Alien Vigneault's staff and obviously then with the Canucks organization. Um, lots of like cross pollination between True North and, and the Vancouver Canucks historical organization yeah. as a result. True North also is very loyal. Like one one thing about them is they don't fire anybody. The turnover like, is uh, so low, minimal, there. so minimal. low. Yeah, so it's a, it's a very sort of um, different type of of hockey organization under under Mark Chipman. And anyway, Rick Bonus though was Plan B for the Jets, and there was almost people who wondered in the industry if Bonus was like effectively a placeholder, if like Trotz just needed some time, but eventually that was where they were going to go. So you bring in someone who's familiar with the organization and maybe there's a transition into an advisory role or yep. something like that. Bonus is also, you know, that was, that was the thinking before the season, but no one saw the jets becoming one of the best teams in the Western conference. Like there's no way the Winnipeg jets organization is not sticking with this guy provided that this stays up. I mean, Rick Bonus. Well, it, it's kind of like a Boudreaux situation, Rick right? Rick Bonus is going to win the Jack Adams. It's kind of like it, it, there's some similarities between Boudreaux coming in last year. Well, except without the management change, like, right? Rick but Bonus you know what I mean? Where guy. it's like, oh, maybe the plan was to move on, but hey, he's doing really well. I'm not sure we can now. Yeah, you know, right, right. You know, what? I see. I see what you're saying. I see the analogy. But Barry Trotz is the other name that I think we at least have to wonder about. I'm not reporting anything. I'm just sort of passing along gossip in the industry, but. Barry Trotz is a name that feels like it looms large this offseason for the Vancouver Canucks um, in a variety of ways. And, you know, the timing, too, of the uh, – have I brought this up before? Not in public, what? right? Well, Barry Trotz uh, was fired by the New York Islanders on – sorry. So, he on May 10th. Yeah. Um, and Bruce Boudreaux's return was codified with the Vancouver Canucks – the uh, the release came out on May thirteenth, so it's like it's like on a Friday, Barry Trotz left the Islanders and and Bruce Boudreaux, Bruce Boudreaux, despite us expecting him to take that entire month, the the decision. Oh, so so sorry. So it was Trotz got fired on a Tuesday and before the weekend, yeah, Boudreaux decided to to return. Uh, just interesting, just interesting. Something that I find that makes me go, hmm. Well, here's the thing. You don't even need, I mean, I like. I think the industry chatter obviously supports it, but just, you can be as a, a, the biggest outsider in the world, and you hear Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin talk about structure. Yeah, who's like Mr. <laughs> structure. <laughs> it's like, oh, and Barry Tross is a free agent? I'm not saying it's going to happen, but yeah, it looms large. Like, there has to be at least conversations well, and, and, and consideration put into and it. He's an, and he's an Okanagan guy and, you know, still spends summers locally. Uh, I mean... There's a there's a lot. You're right. It, you don't need to know anything or talk to anybody to to piece that together. Now now my question to you is, and my question to the inbox, like, do you really believe 
<laughs> that a head coach can make this team the like do you believe that this team has a Winnipeg Jets style glow up in them with the talent on the roster? No, I not with not if it's OEL and Myers together next year, I don't think. Right? With this roster unchanged. Now what is about there, subtract Bo Horvath? Is there yeah. Is there a world where you hire Barry Trotz? And there is some sort of super aggressive retooling for the purpose of being competitive next year that is that can get you to something along the lines of the Winnipeg Jets level. I could see it. I don't think that would be wise. Like I don't think that would be the best course of action. But if you went into this summer full like not not even all in, but just okay, we're making moves to be good this summer. So if we move Tyler Myers, you know, we're not gonna use that cap space to try to harvest a first round pick. We're gonna go out and sign a UFA forward. Right. If, if those are the types of moves you're making, yeah, you could probably boost your record up a little bit to be and then add Barry Trotz and you're something close to the Winnipeg Jets. But it's not going to be sustainable. Well, and, and look, we're bringing up Barry Trotz, but maybe plan B in the similar mold, like which is what the Winnipeg Jets landed. I mean, what would be the difference between the Canucks and like the, the Winnipeg Jets model is to pursue Trotz and then get <laughs> and then get someone else who, yeah. who does a really good job. So, you know, I. Just something I'm thinking, because I feel like the conversation where we're headed, the conversation where we're headed, is going to be team does whatever they do by the deadline. Probably not enough for me, but probably enough that some fans have some hope. Or they extend Bo Horvat and people are like, okay, we're still, you know, we still like Bo Horvat, we still like this team. And then they change coaches. I mean, look, I don't think the that Boudreaux and his, and, the, and his staff have done like a great job this year. I, I still I still have a lot of faith in Boudreaux as an individual. I think the losses of his assistants, you know, the new staff constructed around him. Like, I think he's just slowly been checkmated by an organization that's mm. not into him. And I, I think that's, you know, I, I like, I don't think this team's well coached. I watch this team play and defend the rush, and you can't tell me that this team is well coached. But I also know Bruce Boudreaux's track record, and I saw what he did here last year. And I, I won't believe either that, like, he's the problem. I can't believe that. It doesn't make sense to me. Why, why is he the problem here and he's never been the problem no, anywhere else ever? And in fact, was the solution here just like within 12 months? 12 months ago, 12 months ago, he was like being toasted. You Absolutely. Know? Like, I don't think he could have gone anywhere in this city and bought himself a drink. No, he was, he was, he was like a folk hero. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So anyway, I just, this is where I see this going and I'm not sure I'm buying it. Eh, that's really that's really all I wanted to say. Well, I will say and, the only and, and as an and as an adjusted point, really quickly, and as an adjusted and affiliated point, I I do have enough regard for Boudreaux that I'm concerned he's about to figure out how to make this team win games at a at a far higher clip than they have. Demko's return is going to help a ton too, even though I don't believe that the goaltending issues are goaltending issues. I believe they're fundamentally, you know, absolute train wreck defense issues. And that, to me, is the biggest reason why the pressure should be on Rutherford and Alvin to begin to make some moves quickly here, to significantly weaken this team. Does it, again, and I've brought this up a ton, and I, I understand the reasons it hasn't happened, it's probably not going to happen. Do you, and I, I know you said about Jeremy Colleton, they don't want to bring him to a toxic situation, but if you are worried about Boudreaux getting this back on the rails, do you finally... Rip the band-aid off now and make and make the coaching change, right? Like, is that ever does that ever become a consideration for this team? And again, it gets back to the question I floated earlier. Like, 
I don't know what management wants to happen for the rest of the year. Are they hoping that there'll be this miracle playoff push and there'll be like meaningful games in April? Are they hoping that, you know, young players will develop and they'll they'll be in a better position going into next year? Are they hoping for lottery odds? What are they trying to get out of the remainder of this season? Because yeah, it might be a lost season from making the playoff from making the playoff standpoint, but there's still games, there's still opportunities for some sort of value to be created for your organization. And I don't know what the goal is. I don't know what value they're hoping to create. I don't know how retaining Bruce Boudreaux as your head coach for the entire remainder of the rest of the season helps you get there, right? So I like to me, that that's what's one of the weirdest things about this team right now is, you know, we always say we try to dr- judge them based on their own standard. Like, what's the standard right now? What's their own internal standard? I know at the beginning of the season it was make the playoffs, I don't think it could possibly still be that, but what is it then? Well, I still think they'd love to get through this season with with Bruce. I'm not expecting them to make a change if they don't have to. I think they'd love an extreme outcome one way or the other, and I don't think they're choosy about which one. But don't you kind of have to? Like, wouldn't it they'd behoove them push, to commit obviously. to one of those extreme and try to, like, push the team in the direction well, of one of those extreme options? You're getting to that point. I just think the assumption would be we have a little bit more time here. We're not we're not pressed up against it. I don't agree. I'm just saying I think their formulation would be we have to be patient. We can't make a bad deal. We have to, you know, these are important things. Uh, like Luke Shen's value is highest at the deadline. Sure. We've, got to, we've got to give time for a Kuzmenko contract talks to pull out, uh, you know, to, to shape up before we make a decision on that. And then... You know, in Bo Horvat's case, we're really keen on identifying uh, a good young player in exchange for him. And until we get our price met, we're not going to make that deal. And it's really the latter logic that I disagree with the most. But but that's just because of my cash in hand versus gift card, you know, viewpoint of what this team needs. Like a Horvat deal is going to be very hard if you're trying to get Lafreniere. Yeah. But you can do it quickly if you're doing a classic futures. If you're trying to get first round picks, wow. yeah. and and I don't know if you saw you, uh, really quickly. I know we have got Gemma on the other side. So, but did you see Frank Saravalli wrote a really good profile on uh, on, Bru- yes, on, Bo on Bo Horvat's trade today. status? Yeah, two points of interest for me. One is the uh, prediction that Bo Horvat ends up coming in higher than J T. Miller's contract, eight point two five on a long term deal was was what uh, Frank's industry consensus looked like. Uh, for Bo, I thought that was a fascinating little wrinkle. Uh, I wonder how much that would matter um, in determining where Horvat ends up. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I to me, it would matter a ton if you know, if I was him. But I'm not him. We're very different people. With uh, with regards to one other thing that I found very interesting in the Sarah Valley piece was he brought up comparable trade packages, right? Mm-hmm. And and. Rental versus sign and trade packages. So like Mark Stone was one comp, which I think is an interesting one. That's that that would be more in the mold of like get the right young player back. But of course the right young player in that case, Eric Brandstrom, who, you know, That's whatever. Like a cautionary tale. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but the the one that I like is JP Pajot as an analogy, where the Islanders got the first, the second, the third, or gave up the first, the second, the third to Ottawa and got the extension done with Pajot right before the pandemic hit. And to me, you know, what's the biggest difference between Horvat and Peugeot? One of them is a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> Peugeot was never top five in the NHL in goal scoring in January. But like the Peugeot Plus package, Peugeot Plus, like just I wanted to I wanted to drop that phrase 
because I think that's like that's what Canucks fans should be praying for. Pajot plus, like a first, but, a second, a third, and like a good prospect, like a solid B plus prospect who would immediately become Vancouver's top prospect, by the way. Like that's that's like the perfect the that's tr- the sweet spot. The triple P, the Pajot premium package. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the PPP package. Like that's the one Vancouver should be shooting for, in my view. Uh forget, forget, you know, the DeShane package with the conditional pick if he resigns and you know, Vitaly Abramov, another cautionary tale, right? Forget the Brandstrom. All of these trades involve the Senators, by the way. Forget, forget, <laughs> the, forget the Brandstrom, the the Duchesne pack, or the sorry, the Mark Stone style package, like Pajot Premium package. That's it. Shoot for that. There you go. If they trade him, which is still an open question, somehow two months before the deadline, we will see where that one goes. But up next, we will talk to our Monday regular. We love having her on. Gemma Karsten Smith from the Canadian Press joins us next. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com, and we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.com. Dot net. Keep your thoughts coming in, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Now joining us on the line, as she does every Monday, uh, one of our favorites from the Canadian press, Gemma Karsten-Smith. Gemma, how are you? We got you there, Gemma? Hear me? All right, now we can hear you. There we ah. go. We got you. I'm in a bit of a different locale today. I'm actually uh, up at UBC doing Whitecaps training camp. So. Wow. Look at you. I know. The multi-sport. The multi-sport uh, reporter. Fantastic. Well, the People's Wire Service. Here to serve. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, as usual, we'll do our, uh, our spin through some of the most interesting, notable, quotable uh, clips from the Canucks over the past week or so. And we will start with... Somebody who is regularly in the spotlight for the Canucks this year, JT Miller. What is uh, Miller going to be talking about for us, Gemma? Yeah, so um, Mr. Miller was pretty noticeable in yesterday's loss to the uh, Jets. He made both some uh, suspect defensive plays, and he also put up three points with a goal and two assists. So here he is talking about just how exhausting that loss was. It's just something that... Honestly, they're working on every single day and every single practice, and it's, uh, it's their attention to details. You know, if I look from Edmonton and and compare them to Carolina, like just the way they prepare themselves. I think that was actually our Ethan Bear clip. Do we have JT Miller? Good to go. Okay, we'll play JT Miller here now. It's hard to play catch up all the time. Uh, you know, we didn't uh, didn't play for sixty minutes. I mean, it's we've been talking about the same stuff all year about stringing together good performances, and it wasn't that great tonight. Gemma. Do you get the sense almost that it maybe have been a result like last night was maybe more frustrating for, you know, JT Miller and the rest of the players because it ends up as another lopsided defeat, but I don't, they didn't play as poorly as they have in some of these other blowouts. And yet at the end of the night, you're still losing seven, four. They came back from two, two old deficits and still weren't able to pull it out. Uh, they weren't even able to pull it out in the terms of like getting a single point from overtime. That's got to be so frustrating. And we saw it on players' faces. 
we are, I think most of us have seen the uh, PD stick throw clip. I think losing is really getting to these guys, especially in this manner. And uh, last night was was one of those games. It, I'll, I often go back and forth. Like, do you want to see a group of players do the even keel, like don't get too high, don't get too low thing? Or do you want them to be this upset because they've played this badly? I think with this group, they're, they've shown that they can't do too high, too low, um, the right. even keel uh, very well. Um, I think they've, they've proven that, and they've proven it with their play. We're not seeing a lot of one-goal losses here. We're seeing lopsided wins and lopsided victories. Mm. Um, they, they either go out and score six goals and, and beat uh, someone they have no, uh, no business being up against, or they're dropping a 7-4 um, bombshell to the Jets again. So right. it's, I think that's just this team. They're, they're a Jekyll and Hyde team. Um, they, they're always on one side of the seesaw, and even keel is not in their nature. Well, and, you know, just through that emotional, uh, on the point of that emotional swing, I, I, I think it was JT Miller, but it was somebody in the last few weeks said something along the lines of, you know, it feels like we're playing game seven every night. That just sounds exhausting, right? And I think we see that where the frustration is so evident when they lose, but you can also really see how how much of a relief it is when they win. And just, man, going on that sort of emotional roller coaster day in, day out must take its toll on these players. And it's not just been this season. It was last season, too. Like, since uh, Bruce came behind the bench, they've been fighting for their lives, and it hasn't changed since in over a year now. Can you imagine what that would do to your poor psyche? Um, like I'm, I'm a pretty emotional person at the best of times, and it's being that up and that down and all over the place would just destroy me. On the subject of JT Miller specifically, you mentioned you know a very noticeable night for him. Three points. Some of the defensive miscues we've become accustomed to as well. It's two games now of uh, Pedersen and Miller together, and I would say overall the results have been pretty favorable. What have you uh, thought watching that line together so far, Gemma? Yeah, I, I don't mind that line. Um, honestly, I it's it's very different than I think what we saw with the Lotto line. I think there was so much like innate chemistry with that Lotto line. It seems like they have to work a little bit harder. But I mean, like you said, the results are are, are coming. Um, we're like I said, JT had a three-point night. Um, I don't know if it's the answer for all of this team's woes. In fact, I can tell you it's not the answer for all these teams' woes. But it's it's nice to see um, them feeding off of each other a little bit here. Yeah, the it feels like that line anyway, right? Mil- putting Miller and Pedersen together has sort of resulted in, yeah, the loss, the scoreline was bad, but I think two of their better five-on-five games this season. Do you see it that way? Yeah, yeah. I think that there's there's a lot there, right? Um, mm. And and if like you said, that five-on-five play is so important. It's something that we haven't necessarily seen a um, consistency, to use our favorite Canucks word. Um, <laughs> it's it's not something that we've seen them be consistent with this season. So I wonder that. I wonder if we continue to see that line play together, will that consistency grow a little bit? Will we will we get even more production from that um, that trio there? Uh, we heard a little preview of uh, Ethan Bear talking, but uh, Bear n- up next for our clips this week, and uh, you can uh, you can give us a little preview of what we're going to hear too, Gemma. 
Yeah, roaring into our clips next. Um, <laughs> thank, you. thank you. Bear was asked, uh, so this comes from after the Islanders games, where uh, IMAC actually asked what it's like to go from being with the Hurricanes, which is a team that's generally expected to be in the playoffs, to the Canucks, who are not. Um, and here's Bear talking about what it takes to make Carolina a consistent contender. It's just something that, honestly, they're working on every single day and every single practice, and it's, uh, it's their attention to details. You know, if I look from Edmonton and and compare them to Carolina, like just the way they prepare themselves, it's so it's um, you know it's it's night and day difference. But um, you know, for us, like we just gotta you know just make make sure we're prepared every practice and every game to to get better. I find that clip fascinating, Gemma, because he doesn't name check the Canucks specifically in comparison to Carolina, right? He mentions Edmonton, his other previous team, but it's hard not to read between the lines there and say, yeah, he's saying it's night and day between Edmonton and Carolina, but, you know, maybe he means it's night and day between Carolina and the Canucks, too. That is exactly why I pulled this one. (laughs) I wanted to talk about why he didn't mention the Canucks. Um, The other thing he says is that the Canucks have to be uh, better at getting prepared. Um, and that's kind of a that struck me as ooh ouch um, like you have to learn to be better prepared that it just struck me as okay you're not saying that this is a team that's good with attention to detail that they're not um, consistently uh, looking to win games this is a team that is still very much learning and with this roster I think we're well past the uh, the days of needing to be learning. <laughs> it was an interesting availability because it almost felt like he was saying the quiet part out loud in real time, right? Um, do, you, do you really think that's what happened there? And and is Ethan Bear becoming sort of this locker room's most notable truth teller? <laughs> I think he is. I, I really liked Ethan Bear for that reason. <laughs> mm. um, you'll no, you'll notice this about me is that I like the guys who are actually going to say something in, in front of the right. uh, cameras and the microphones. Um, but no, I think that he's he's a very honest guy. He's very honest. Uh, he's been in that same um, availability. This is the game where he just gave like a total pizza that ended up in the back of the Canucks net, and he was very honest. That he was like, I got to be better. He's not someone who's trying to cover up or anything like that, and that's uh, that's something I like about him. I think that there's, um, yeah, there's there's not enough of that on that on this team, and enough of that self reflection, and uh, it's it's refreshing to have from you know, a media I, perspective. I think the really striking thing about that. Uh, that commentary from Bear for me as well, Gemma, is, you know, you go back to the early days of the rutherford Alvin regime, and we've heard concerns about the practice habits, right, the attention to detail. We obviously know about, you know, what they had to say about structure and, and how the team plays last year under Bruce Boudreau. We know, you know, Jim Rutherford has, has been very public about they didn't have a good training camp. They didn't like how they were carrying themselves in training camp. And now we're hearing similar things from Ethan Bear, and it, it's really striking, not just the specifics of what we're hearing on that subject, but just how frequently it comes up. And, you know, I, I know management is probably going to look to make a coaching change after this year, but it seems to me when you're hearing about the same problem this consistently, I don't know if bringing in a new coach is going to fix it. it. It just seems like the problem goes so much deeper than maybe we had, you know, this time last year we would have uh, we would have guessed. 100%. I think all of those things are related. I think that the attention to detail is related to the structure is related to um, 
but I don't think that you can fix it without making some major changes to this roster. I think that that has been proven by the tinkering. Um, yes, it's the same coach, but I, I don't think it, it was a it was a different coach under Travis Green. It was very much the same roster. So I think that the issue is so much deeper than um, Bruce Boudreau being behind the bench. I think it's a lot more about this group of players and how they play together and more to the point, how they don't play together. And it just seems like such a big problem, right? Like when, it, when we're saying it's not just about the coach, it's you actually have to like, something is just so off with how this group fits together. It sounds daunting when you put it that way, Gemma. Yeah, they don't fit together. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, it has been the problem since last season, since the beginning of last season. And, like, uh, I, I don't know what the I, – I mean, I know what, that the answer is that you actually shake things up instead of tinkering with things, um, and you actually have to make some moves, and they're probably not all going to be popular with the fan base. But they're coming. Right. And I think everyone in this organization knows they're coming. I think everyone on this roster knows that the team we saw play last night is not going to be the same team that we see play uh, after the trade deadline. So I, I think that everyone knows it's coming. It's, it's, I think everyone is kind of in this wait and see pattern and it's painful. <laughs> uh, in conversation with Gemma Carsten Smith of the Canadian Press here, Sportsnet 6. 50 Colin Delia you know the backup to the backup and it's funny like it being a backup goalie in Vancouver seems to be a pretty good job right because there's always questions <laughs> about the number one guy and it's been a bit of an up and down week though for Colin Delia really good performance against Colorado gets pulled yesterday against Winnipeg and uh, what are we going to hear from Colin Delia that's exactly what I was going to say is that he's had such an up and down week he had this big high against the ass, Stanley Cup champion, stops 30 shots for the win. He had so much to say about how this was like, this week has been a come to Jesus moment for this team and, and all this. But he also said that there was things that the Canucks could use from their performance against Colorado. Let's uh, hear him on his thoughts about that. I think when we look back at the tape, you know, we'll see those habits, you know, the good changes, the block shots, um, you know, everyone coming back hard. And, you know, those are things that uh, we talked about. And to do them in the next game and to do them really well, you know, I think uh, it's really positive for our group. So we'll just like to continue to replicate that. I admire his optimism, Gemma, but I feel like we've <laughs> had these moments in the past, right, where they, they have a game where they say, okay, that's the template. That's what we know we can do. It. We can follow this pattern. And then it doesn't happen. Say it together with me. Consistency. Yes. Um, because then they go out and have a game like they did yesterday. And that was exactly not what to do. Like, if you base, if you go by what Colin Delia was saying about um, all of those details, and even what Ethan Bear was saying about having to pay attention to details and the preparedness and all of those things, we saw none of that yesterday. It was just the same old ugliness, the same old not showing up for the first five, ten minutes of a period. Like, it's, I don't know how they, how, it has to happen. I don't know what the answer is, but they need to find a way to actually like literally replicate those results because they know they can do it. They're doing it against uh, some top teams. Well, we, we know that the Avs aren't last year's Stanley Cup champions at this moment, but point, the point is there, you know? Mm. Um, and for them to just string together those two games, it's completely confounding. 
Gemma, the the subjects that he sort of listed off, like the good changes, that was a big subject on Hockey Night in Canada, like, what, 48, 72 hours before uh, he ended up making that comment. Delia makes, makes that commentary. Um, you read anything into that? Yeah. I, I, the things that are being said in public are the same things that are being said in the room, I think. Um, I, I don't think that anything is going under the radar here. We're all watching the same games. We're all, we're all watching the same performances. Like, it's... It's not a secret. Um, they, know, they know what they're doing wrong. They just can't figure out how to get it right. <laughs> yeah. With uh, How much do you think that plays into some of the visible frustration that really spilled over, it feels like, over the course of the past 10 days? Yeah, I think frustration is uh, the word of the week if we were on Sesame Street. Um, I, I think <laughs> I think that I is for inconsistency. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell that we're teaching our three-year-old about selling? <laughs> um, by the way, she's got mommy and daddy down. I'm pretty proud. Um, <laughs> Let's go. Yay, Lola. Anyway, not talking about my child. We're talking about how this team is, the frustration is so palpable. And it's, like I said, they know what they're doing wrong. They know what they should be doing, and they just cannot do it. And I think that goes back to the makeup of this roster, the fact that these guys just, like, cannot figure out how to play together. It's a problem. They need to solve it. The trade deadline can't come soon enough for this team. Uh, it would not be a From the Wire segment without hearing from the coach, Bruce Boudreaux. Happy birthday to Bruce Boudreaux, uh, by the way. Uh, what are we going to hear from uh, from Boudreaux? Yeah, um, frustration was the name of the game for the birthday boy as well. Uh, he took and accepted a lot of the heat after that ugly loss to the Islanders. Um, he says that his role as a coach is to find each player's Achilles heel. So let's listen to Boudreaux's thoughts on what exactly that means. In other words, if it's a, a kick in the butt or a pat on the back or uh, taking ice time away or in the older days taking money away, I mean, it was my job to find out what makes them tick and what, what can go. And, and maybe sometimes I've let that slide a little bit and uh, uh, just go back to the well a little too often. So it's, it's up to me to, uh, to make these guys more accountable. Gemma, I thought last week might have been the most interesting and, and maybe revealing week of the Bruce Boudreaux tenure. Just when it comes to, you know, what we could learn about Bruce Boudreaux and his his psyche as a coach, because immediately after the loss to the Islanders, there was some very pointed criticism towards the players that night. The clip we just heard is from the practice the next day, where it was a very, very, very different tone, as you said, taking uh, a lot of the blame onto himself. And I just found that kind of overnight change and the two different messages from Bruce Boudreaux to be really fascinating. 100. I think that that is that frustration showing. I think we saw that after the Islanders, like just basically throwing his hands up in the air. Like what, what else do you want from me? Kind of thing. Um, I think overnight he collected himself. I bet he didn't sleep very much. Um, I, I think that he, I think that this eats at him way more than he's willing to allow us to see. Um, he, he, he wanted to take back some of that responsibility, take back some of um, that control almost. Um, the, he, he says that it is up to him when players don't do what's expected of him, uh, what he expects of them. Like, he, he really believes that. But in his moment of frustration, he, he just didn't have any answers and was like, you saw the game too. Um, I, what struck me about this clip is that he says it's, more, it's up to him to make sure that players are more accountable 
I thought that was really interesting because we've talked so much about accountability with this team and how he has healthy scratching players. We've seen some guys go back down to Abbotsford, all of these things. But the big name guys, are they being held accountable? I would argue no. Well, I I think there's voices in Canucks management that would strongly agree with you. Um, That I think has been part of, or, or at least run alongside the structural argument internally as, you know, sort of where Boudreaux has perhaps struggled over the course of this season. Would you sort of buy that line? Yeah, I would definitely buy that line. Mm. Um, uh, I wouldn't pay like a whole lot for it, but uh, yeah, I, just, <laughs> I would buy it. Hey, Gemma, well, one thing we were talking about, now that we're on the subject of coaching, <laughs> one thing we were talking about prior to uh, having you on was this idea of the Jets model with the Rick bonus glow up being <laughs> a window into the future of what will be sold in the event that the Canucks issue sort of longer term planning, maybe maybe rebuilding in a more meaningful way. We could be the next Jets. Demko bounces back, new coach, new structure. You buy in that. Could a coach come in and fix some of these things? How much of this is on? Boudreaux himself I I think and we've talked about this already today I think that there are deeper problems within the roster that need to be addressed Uh, I I think that we all know Bruce included that he's not going to be behind be behind this bench next season Um, I I I doubt that he'll um, be turfed before the end of the campaign but I we all know he's not here come training camp Um, I think a new coach will help but it won't solve anything if it's the same roster uh they they need some actual defense because as we saw yesterday this team does not know how to play defense uh and i don't think that's just a structure issue i think that's a personnel issue um they need they're, they're going to have to replace some guys who just aren't going to be here anymore horvat's not going to be here i would be stunned if kuzmenko were still here because this team is up against the cap they need to move move some uh, bodies move some money around um and it's going to be a huge challenge. So do I think Rick Bonus would be the answer to all the world's ills if you're uh, talking to the Canucks? No. But uh, will a new coach help? I think it could with the right roster. Gemma, really appreciate it. Uh, we'll let you get back to uh, to the Whitecaps and then also, of course, teaching your jo- daughter to read. Uh, I've, I'm thinking now, like, we got to do, like, an ABCs of the Canucks season or something, okay. right? Like, A, for accountability. <laughs> Just you think all, I haven't already started All the this? buzzwords that we use all the time over and over for this Canucks season. S is for structure. I, I, yeah. I promise you that I will do this before the end of the <laughs> That's fantastic. I look forward to hearing it, Gemma. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. That is Gemma Karstens Smith, of course, doing a fantastic job okay, covering I'm, the Canadian I'm really press. excited, and we need puppets. <laughs> I think the key thing that will make this fly is puppets. I'm not going to lie to you. Not usually a big puppets guy, but I think we need puppets. Right, you could do like a whole on. like little video or something with examples of each. Mm. You know, like A is for accountability, and then you know a little clip of Boudreaux taking accountability for for the Islanders loss. B is for back check. It's like what didn't happen on this play in this example. It's like back check. B is for back check. No footage found. <laughs> 404 file not found. Yeah, file file footage file missing. not found. Yeah. There we go. Uh, Iron Blair says P is for plus minus. No. Oh, no. Never. We can't use plus minus. Absolutely not. We'll think about what P would be for. Uh, uh, um yeah, but P is for dated. D is for dated stats. 
The ones we don't use. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll keep thinking about that. You can get your submissions for the ABCs of the 2022-23 uh, Canucks season in as well. One final segment on the way. Get your thoughts in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, final segment of the show today. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drans, live from the Kintech studio. And 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I remember what I wanted to talk about. Hold Sorry. on, hold on. Yeah, Before we get into up. that, because we've got some great uh, we've got some great submissions for the ABC Canucks. Okay. The, whether it's like a children's book or like a children's YouTube video or whatever, but the ABCs of the 2022-2023 Canucks season. Uh, Arash Texan, U is for unfinished business, which is very, very good. Uh, we've got, of course, R is for rebuild has come in. Uh, D is for dis- dysfunctional. Uh, Iron Blair, who we ha- we rejected uh, his P is for plus minus. He says, okay, P is for puck management. <laughs> yeah, I'm which, okay that's a that. good one. That's a very good one. Uh, we have B is for back pass. <laughs> well, like, uh, like on the power play? Yes, the drop? The dreaded, or like the... The JT Miller behind the back pass to the uh, uh, to the to the blue line maybe I think was what we're uh, we're going for there. Fair. Uh, so we got lots, man. We got a lot. We're we're like halfway there already. I yep. love it. Our 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 listeners are coming through. Did you read the U one yet? Yes, unfinished okay. business. I love that one. Yeah. that one's my favorite one. Which nat- naturally means uh, O has to be for our pursuit. The other. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, oh. Rager says D is for double down. Oh, O is for the reaction of everyone who bought into the Bruce Boudreaux bump last year. Oh. Uh Uh-oh. Oh. Not not getting as many Drance's hockey IQ sucks texts in this season. What do you mean Miller's a winger? 99 points. Look at the points, Drance. We did. Uh, I love. This is my. I'm favorite. sorry. I'm enjoying that. I just want to. I just want to enjoy that for a sec. Thank you. This is my favorite. <laughs> um, my favorite genre of text that we get for the last few months, which is uh, this one unsigned. Guys, man, I agree with everything you're saying. End of times are near indeed. <laughs> <laughs> We've had some variation of that text, usually more just about you specifically. Like, I can't believe I'm agreeing with trance well, right it's, now. It's un- it's unfortunate. That's my favorite genre you don't of text want, that we get. You don't, it's it's bad. It's it. it look, it's going to end though eventually. Hey, I, w- I remember what I want to talk about. Yes. Uh, I heard... Um, Really good hit, like well worth your time to go revisit. I heard McIntyre uh, on with Halford and Bruff early this morning while I was walking my dog, enjoying uh, a good, a really good Canucks conversation. And Bruff and, and Mac at one point started debating like the speed with which the Canucks should start to make moves here, mm. right? And Mac's point was that you know the Horvat deal Horvat might be one of the best trade assets we've seen come available in season certainly since Mark Stone I think that's probably right um among centermen probably unrivaled since 2006 like we're really talking about a 16 year 17 year period since the last center of Horvat's caliber moved in season and Mac was saying given that you have to make the right deal you have to get the right deal done considering the gravity of the of the situation from Vancouver's perspective and 
It's not that I disagreed with Max so much as I wanted to make a, a key point, m- an addendum of sorts to my move fast and get bad yeah. take from last week, which I still stand by. The key for me is, again, in changing the nature of what you're after, right? That Pajot Plus Premium Package Plus. <laughs> the PPPP? Yes. Did I add a P there? Yeah, I think so. P-, P is for Pajot Premium Package. We got, we got a side decide on where we're going with plus or premium for the third p oh man this sounds like a, a disney board meeting circa 19 uh 2019 yeah or like disney the, plus the disney different premium? options at your local car wash it's like do you, do you want the plus or the premium i don't know there's a there's a podcast want my car clean there's an entertainment podcast i like that always referred to it as disney plus so I've, I've always called it that to the point where my wife does it now too like she's like you want to watch plus <laughs> It's probably the weirdest thing in my household. I was going to say, that's a fascinating insight to the trans household. <laughs> plus? Plus time? You up for some plus, babe? <laughs> Thought you'd never ask. Um, so, again, I think the key here isn't taking less value. It's taking as much value, 100% of value, in a different format that's easier for contenders to pay. Like, we bumped into this with Miller, and this is my real concern. If you're focused on the key piece, if you're focused on focused on the Lafreniere or the center or the right-handed defenseman, and to the exception of accepting fair value from a team that can pay something else, then you're going to have to wait to find the deal, right? This is the cash in hand versus gift cards thing. If you're after just a Starbucks gift card, and, and another team's like, oh, I got a $25 Dunkin' gift card. It's not that the $25 gift card's worse. It's just that you don't like the coffee as much. Mm. You know, like, if you... Cash cash only! Like a front. Be a front. Cash only. The benefits of getting bad now are significant. Massive. Like, at the end of the day... There's no package you can net for Bo Horvat, in my mind, that is higher value than the difference between picking, say, fifth because you got bad and lost the lottery, and eighth, mm. where you are where you'd be 50% likely to pick right now. Like the leverage of that, like what's the leverage of that relative to any trade you'd make for Bo Horvat? It's massive. Massive. I think the other how thing. Do you, how do you measure? How do you yeah. measure the leverage of being bad for the Canucks fan who's the best prospect to come out of Canada since 2015 and and ever out of Western Canada? Like the leverage of that is through the roof. And the other thing for me is, I understand and I agree with obviously the the philosophy of if you're trading Bo Horvat, that's an incredible opportunity, and you want to do everything you can to make the absolute most of it. That's true, of course. But one, there's value to making the move earlier, right? And and worsening your team. The other thing though is you got to keep in mind like what the what the hierarchy of best to worst case scenarios is, right? Like I would say best case scenario is you get your dream package tomorrow and you do the trade quickly and you get everything you wanted in return, right? Like that is the absolute best case scenario. But the worst case scenario in the Bo Horvat situation is not actually you make a deal for a first round pick and the guy you pick doesn't pan out. That's not the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario 
is deciding not to make the trade because you can't find the perfect package and signing them to a long-term, really inefficient contract, right? Like, that's the worst-case scenario. And the concern for me is, and, I mean, who knows exactly what happened with the JT Miller situation, but from the outside looking in, it does seem like through a combination of maybe overvaluing the player, misreading the market a little bit, but also falling in love with a certain return, they couldn't get that return, and they kind of said, okay, well, then the next best thing to do is to sign him. And they, I think they made a pretty major mistake. And I think if you get too wrapped up in what the specific concern or the specific return you want for Bo Horvat is, the closer you come to making that same mistake, right? So it's not just about the timing for me. It's that if you're locked in on, we have such a good asset here, the only way we can do this trade, we have to get X, Y, and Z if we're going to make this trade, is all of a sudden, if that return's not out there, do you circle back and say, well, you know what, I guess we'll have to up our offer for Horvat, right? Because we're not getting the return we want, so what are we going to do? We're going to trade him. No, that's not it. Like, yes, you want to hit a home run, but if a home run's not out there, you take your ground rule double on a Horvat trade every day of the week rather than striking out on a contract. A home run should be out there, but yes. I agree with that. I agree. And all of that said... All of that said, what's the worst possible outcome for the Canucks with Bo Horvat here? It's not losing him for nothing. No, it's signing him. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is getting frustrated and signing him to a bad long-term contract. It's recreating the Miller deal. 100%. Right? And, And we talked a little bit about this organization not necessarily, you know, spending the way they have in the past, the way we're used to considering the Canucks is like, hey, it's non-cap spending, who cares? We used to talk about this team like they were, you know, the Leafs or the Habs or the Rangers because that's how they used to conduct themselves. And that's changed since the pandemic. Well, there's an $8.5 million signing bonus coming to JT Miller this summer once that deal kicks in. $5 million to Myers. Mm Mm-hmm. Horvat's going to get paid whatever that looks like, right? Like, and, and you know, I know you're, well, I know a lot of people are still just don't, don't see how this organization, trading Bo Horvat would be such a departure. Yep. From the absurd way that this organization tends to conduct itself, that lots of people can't wrap their heads around it. I, I, the more I think about it, the more I struggle to wrap my head around it. And I would say probably circa like November, early December, if you had asked me, are they going to trade Bo Horvat? I would have said, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, this guy didn't understand the tweet and tweet texts in. No, dude. Worst case scenario is typical Canucks fashion. Bo is free agent and walks for nothing. No, that's better than extending him. Yeah. Like nothing sucks. That's, you don't want to get don't, nothing. Don't get us wrong. That's a really bad outcome. You don't. It's not get the nothing. worst case scenario. Well, the, the JT Miller thing. If JT Miller was a free agent now and you didn't trade him, you'd still be better off than if you'd actually done that contract. You know, we talked a little bit about Dom's model, the player cards new at the Athletic. Here's another wrinkle, another thing that I thought as I read through them this morning, which I do every time they're published by Dom and Shanna. They do great work on them. JT Miller, in terms of GSVA, is providing. $1.7 million in surplus value above the value of his contract this season. His contract this season is $5.5 million. So it's about to flip next year, and if he plays like this in year like that that deal's going to be a negative value deal in the first year of the deal? Mm-hmm. Like, are you really going to allow... You change management. You have Horvat and Miller both expiring. Miller goes off and has a ridiculous outlier season. 
unlike anything he's ever previously done, and you extend him, and then Horvat does the same, and you extend him. I'm not. What? I'm not. I'm. I'm I just want to say historically, that would be historically just about the stupidest. Twenty four months, or not even twenty four months, eight months in in the history of any franchise in this league, outside of like Terry Pagula's first five months in Buffalo, and you know some. Well, honestly, probably since 2016 with the Canucks drafting Yolevi, signing Erickson, like everything, trading McCann for Good Branson, like that was pretty impressive. The Sutter trade, Benino for Sutter, that was an impressive run. This would beat it. This would be worse. I'm not disagreeing with you. But what is the track record that suggests the franchise is prepared to make those a, really a tough single decisions? hard decision ever? Those really hard decisions. I don't know. I don't even think this is a hard decision, Jamie. No, but you know what I mean. It, it, you know it what I mean. Would have been if would it would have been if they hadn't done Miller the way like if sure. they if they dealt Miller, then you're facing a hard decision with Horvat. Once you once Miller gets signed, like how do you think you can do like what team does both those deals and gets better? You know, like the only ones are the ones that are trying to squeeze like a little bit more juice out of a team who's yeah, out of one is window right now. Yeah. You know, like the Avs doing uh, Landeskog and then McKinnon. Mm-hmm. But those guys are also way younger. Yeah, and better. And way better. No <laughs> that kidding. That makes a difference, too. No kidding, right? But you know what and I mean when I say hard better. decision. You know what I mean when I say hard decision, right? Because when I say hard decision, I mean, one, it's the fact that he's the captain, that he's you know homegrown, drafted, developed by the team, all of that career Canuck. But it's also the fact that he's top five in NHL goal scoring. And one of the the most consistent themes, we talked about a little earlier in the show, but across management groups with this Canucks team, and to be fair, I, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I should say with the organization, because I do think outside of the JT Miller thing, this management group has shown more willingness to go out and try to replace players externally. So I, I want to be clear there. Who? But, well, they traded Tyler Mott. <laughs> oh no, my but like, that was their other UFA at the deadline, and they did oh it. Oh my goodness, but they've done nothing else. They've no, done nothing else. And and we got a good text in from I'm just Snoop trying not to rope them in, but I'm saying the ah. one of the most consistent features is a, a fear of losing talented players and tr- going out and trying to replace them, right? Yeah. Like, even think about, like, Tanner Pearson, the Tanner Pearson deal. Oh. oh. And so, I don't know when... How many... This 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 organization just loves to duff tappins. Like, if, if this organization was a golfer, it would just be like, and they're on... It's a tap in to win. It's just like Shank. <laughs> it's been like a compilation of Shank to tap ins. Anyway, I want to read this text because yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Mott trading Mott. I remember we were live on radio that day. Yep. Remember, and I and the whole market was like, "Oh my God, they didn't get enough." And no, you like, had to do it, and it's like, thank God, you had to do it. Thank God, this organization finally didn't mess up an easy one. You absolutely had to do it. There's going to be a uh, there's going to be a similar conversation, I think, if and when they trade Luke Shen for like a third. Uh, that conversation's over. I agree. It's. <laughs> it's I'm not saying so, I'm going to be leading it. The hard conversation, only hard decision, is Kuzmenko. Horvat's easy. Horvat's obvious. You can't pay another guy eight and a half million when you're this far. You're closer to the Coyotes than you are to a playoff spot. You can't pay another 28 year old. They they've made their bed. Lie in it. Shen, now have, Shen is the no-brainer of Shen, no-brainers. Yeah, yeah. He's Completely 33 agree. years old. He's 33. Like, I, let me I ask you love this. the Hold guy. On. Let me ask Come you on. this. 
But Kuzmenko's a tough decision. Let's say in it's you know mid-February, and we come in to do the show, and we get the email or the Friedman tweet. Canucks have signed Bo Horvat eight eight by eight point five. I'm gonna, Are you going to be more surprised or frustrated? Like, would you characterize your reaction to that as surprise? I wouldn't. No. No, but but I mean, I'll be furious. I'm not going to lie. I'll be furious. I, I think, and and I'll congratulate Bo. Mm-hmm. I'm rooting for Bo as an individual. I think he's a tremendous player. I think he's been a great captain for this organization, but. And and you've made this point before, both on and off air. The 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 moves that are required once you do that deal also are bad. Like it's our it has negative domino effects too, right? Because yeah. now you're probably looking the at Miller one already buying does. out Garland, right? Are you you like are you going to finally bend and give up assets to get off salary, so, right? So the Miller deal, the Miller deal, has a domino effect, which is. It's now really hard to get Bo Horvat done, particularly once you also do Mikheyev. Or, or for example, like, hey, you're not going to have very much money to upgrade your defense core and keep Horvat uh, and Kuzmenko. Yeah, Kuzmenko. This offseason. And immediately needs a raise. Okay. Doing Horvat means no Kuzmenko, probably. Or you keep Kuzmenko and you've got, you know, um, Mike Halford dressing on right D next season. Yeah, you keep both those guys and then you're talking about. You have to go through a lot of pain just to like, just to field a team, just to ice a team. You know what I mean? Like you have to give up assets. You have to go through buyouts, not even to to improve the team, just to keep them together. If you if you sign both of those guys, so yeah, I mean, I don't. So I don't even think Horvat at this point is even a tough decision. And again, I I said it last week. That makes me nauseous. I find that horrifying for this organization. Like the fact that this organization traded for Bo Horvat to launch a rebuild <laughs> made the won one playoff round in his extraordinarily successful tenure that's you know seen him become a top 10 scorer in franchise history and then we'll have to trade him to start a rebuild with no like nothing of meaningful consequence achieved in the interim that's gross. Or that they'll trade them and not start a rebuild. Like I hate <laughs> Or at least that. not admit that they're starting a rebuild. Oh, yeah. And then, and then, well, and that's kind of what happened last time. <laughs> they traded that's him. That's a good then, point. And traded then, for him. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Um, and Horvat never got the support, right? Like they never found the, the team to build around their top 10 pick who hit beyond all wildest, um, you know, possible uh, extents. Hey, uh, hold on. This text comes in just uh, unsigned. How do you keep someone who doesn't want to stay? Look, I have no insight into Bo I, Horvat's I, mind, none whatsoever. I can tell you. I can tell you. The idea that Bo Horvat doesn't want to stay in Vancouver is not true. Yeah. So I guy loves but it. But the, the, home here. The only on. reason I bring it up is to point out that it is like we sometimes think of free agency as like a team going to the shopping. Like to the shopping center, right? And just picking whatever they want off the shelves. It's a two-way street. So that, that's true. Look, it's got to work for Horvat as well. That's absolutely right. It's not a unilateral Canucks decision. But I would also like. I think if the number's right, I would imagine there's a way they can get that uh, that deal done if they want. So I want to. I want to come back to the last thing, which is Shen is uh, open shut. Horvat, unfortunately, because of how this organization has boxed themselves in, is open shut. The only tough decision is Kuzmenko. And Kuzmenko, what, turns 27 in a month? Mm-hmm. 
So is this team close enough? You know, say it's, I mean, I, the problem is, is I don't know how to value him. Uh, it's very difficult. You know, like uh, he has, there's basically no analogy for a guy coming into the league at the age of 26 with zero previous games of NHL experience. He's got 35 points in 38 games. So he's on pace for 70 plus points this season. 30 plus goals, 70 plus points. That's a six and a half million dollar player. Maybe a seven million dollar player. Can you do that? Don't you have to also at least, like what we said, we said with Miller, outlier season. Bo Horvat, outlier season. I, I'm not saying it is, but there's at least a possibility that this is an NHL outlier season for Andre Kuzmenko. Like I don't, you know what I mean? You have to at least factor that into your risk projection for him. Yeah. You can't just be like, well, okay, great. We're going to get 75 points from this guy year in, year out. Maybe you might, but there's a huge amount of risk if you're, if you're valuing him at that level. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I want to find out. I want to find out if I'm the Canucks because he's super fun and he's got this unique chemistry with Elias Pettersson. And he's sick at the net front on the power play. So, but, but, don't you but, think- uh, but I want to find out. I don't want to find out at seven times five. No. I don't, I don't think this team can afford to pay, you know, six and a half million for a guy's 27, 28, 29, 30, 31-year-old seasons when they're at least that far away from contending. Like, what what helps this team win a cup more in the next five years? Kuzmenko signed for, let's say, five and a half. I'll, or five. I'll give you a conservative projection. Five times five for Kuzmenko or or just a second-round pick for him. Uh, and you duck that At that, away. I'd go five by five. No, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you're wrong. Categorically, you're wrong. It sucks, but you are. <laughs> That's the, the patented back and forth debate we're known for. Nope, next question. Moving nope. on. No, nope. but five by five. Let me, let me ask you this question and we'll debate your answer. Nope. Uh-uh. <laughs> Incorrect. Incorrect. <laughs> next up. Sorry. I got uh, no, but they're not gonna get they're not gonna get him at five by five. I don't think so, no. I don't think so. If you're scoring if you're going for seventy points a game or seventy seventy points a game. Seventy points in your first year. Yeah, I don't think so. This question comes in. So what is Kuzmenko worth at the deadline with his cap it, given that he's on a league minimum? But that I, it, I think a fair bit, but also I don't think as much as he should be. He's one of those guys who I think has more hockey value than trade value because he's never been in the NHL playoffs. People will wonder what he looks like down the stretch when mm-hmm. hockey gets heavier. You know, there's, there's, um, there's a lot of... Uh, biases that I feel like will work against him and limit his value somewhat. And yet, you know, not to say that he still wouldn't get a bounty. It's just that he should be valued as a star, as a guy on an ELC producing like this. And I think he'd be valued as a supporting piece. So, yeah. so probably, I mean, realistically, probably you could get a late first, maybe an early second and plus. But I also don't know. I don't have a sense. Like, we haven't seen enough trades this year. We don't have the market particularly set. Traditionally, prices get really wild around the trade deadline. Uh, they did last year. We saw Brandon Hagel move for for a couple firsts. Granted, his he value had, was juiced the, by his, his contract, contract yeah. and he's played great for Tampa Bay, by the way, this this year. But, um, you know, with all of that said and all of that in mind, um, 
you know, it, it's just tough to know. I, I think I think based on historic history anyway, I'd be I'd be you know, if you're if you're dealing Kuzmenko, I think you're looking for a first plus. You'd want a first. For a guy who's at least uh, like at got, a point per game. He's he's basically a point per game player. You gotta get a first. On an ELC. Wild. For a rental, even like I know he's a winger, not gonna be a two way guy for you, all of those things, but still you're looking for like there's always contenders contenders who are looking at it and being like, Man, we need just somebody to help juice our power play a little bit. We need somebody on the the, the last guy in our top six to right, help our second line score a little bit more, yeah. right? Like that's always first plus. a player profile that, I, I that think somebody first needs. Plus. I mean, there's there's talk around the around the business when I when I call people like that Shen could go for a, you know remember remember I was like mouth agape when Merrick mentioned him going for a for, second yeah and people were like the people I've been asking about it are like second plus yeah like Merrick's floated a first yeah like uh, someone I was asking someone and someone brought up the Doug Murray example do you remember that yeah so oh, do I ever for Doug Murray yeah. out of Pittsburgh and I was like oh wow like I mean look <laughs> God bless God bless he's been awesome. Uh, Chet and Burnaby text in. This might be Kuzmenko's NHL outlier because it's his lowest total points. It's possible. Anything's <laughs> possible. That's the point. It's really hard to know. Last last text. Nope, you're wrong. A conversation sponsored by Thomas Dan. <laughs> <laughs> we'll end the show on that note. The PDO cast is next. We're back tomorrow. You've got it on Sportsnet 650.